I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And we are Feet of Clay. Confessions of the Cult Sisters. And Sharon, our cult sisterhood actually goes back to the cult commune Last Days Ministries. Yeah. Started by Keith Green, which was a ranch down the street from the Youth with the Mission Tyler base, which was located in the Garden Valley, Lindale area. Of Texas. Of East Texas. Of East Texas. And that was back in the late 1970s, and there were many parachurch-type ministries who had moved into East Texas, into that Lindale Garden Valley area. I do not know why. I don't know what happened to create the draw there. But it did form a pretty unique neighborhood of contemporary Christian musicians. So we had Second Chapter of Acts, Dallas Holman Praise, Keith Green, at some point Jimmy and Carol Owens, Silverwind. Barry McGuire, just a whole bunch, whole bunch of musicians, and also this post-Jesus movement ministries. Youth with a Mission moved in in 1980. They purchased 365 acres, a property that was known then as Twin Oaks Ranch. Now, that originally belonged to David Wilkerson. He's the guy who wrote Cross and the Switchblade and other books. Yes, they actually made a movie. I went to that in my youth group, and the big, uh, the big repeatable draw was "God loves Nikki Cruz," and uh, <laughs> the Chips guy. He was the star. He was Nikki Cruz from the movie. You are dating yourself so badly, know, there, Tracy. I know, but I was very, very much a fan of David Wilkerson and the Cross and the Switchblade. Yeah, so this was like a mecca of just a whole lot of Christian superstars in that area, right? Yes. So Youth with a Mission comes in, and they set up a big training and outreach headquarters. I don't know if it was the biggest one in the U.S. or not. I'm not sure. So they ran a lot of training schools, DTSs, discipleship training schools. But really, Tracy... These were more accurately recruiting schools, right? This was a recruiting mechanism. Yes, there Mm. was training, but it's really like the first hit to get their hooks in and bring you onto staff where you're going to pay and pay and pay and pay. Mm. And Youth with a Mission was founded by Lauren Cunningham. Yes, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts of that training school here in a minute. But that, of course, is why we're doing this special broadcast, Sharon. Lauren Cunningham is the subject of this episode because yesterday, October 6th, was the day that we saw the news splashed across social media announcing that Lauren Cunningham had passed away. Yeah. Let me just read real quickly some uh, online obituary highlights. Here it goes. Quote, Youth with a Mission founder and international chancellor of YWAM's University of the Nations. Aside from Sharon and Tracy, we're going to talk about how that wasn't really a university, was it? No, it was not. Sorry. (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Lauren Cunningham lost his battle to stage four cancer on Friday. Cunningham's staff shared in a web statement, quote, Lauren was the first person in history to travel to every sovereign nation on Mm. earth, all dependent countries, and more than 100 territories and islands for the sake of Christ and the Great Commission, 
parentheses, Mark 16, 15. Okay, this is Sharon's uh, commentary again. (laughs) Really, for the sake of Christ? Uh, Maybe not for the sake of ego and bragging rights? Okay, stop, Sharon. Go back to the quote. Continuing on. Now he has added one more, quote, stamp to his well-worn passport. Heaven! Exclamation point. Hmm. Cunningham was diagnosed with stage four cancer back in March, which had spread to his lungs, bones, and lymphatic system. He was determined, however, to continue on with his ministerial efforts of serving the Lord and others until he was called home, end quote. Well, we, of course, knew this day was coming, Sharon. Yeah, because we had heard months ago that he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and 88 years old. So we figured it would be imminent. And we also knew that in the wake of his death, there would be thousands or tens of thousands, maybe, of posts and messages and online forums highlighting the amazing legacy of Lauren Cunningham and Youth with a Mission. Yeah, and we're just a little over 24 hours since this news broke, and that is true. And also there's a community of people out there who are survivors of Youth with a Mission mm-hmm. who have been very hurt and abused through the years. And so that's decades. one of the reasons. Decades. 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 <laughs> which is one of the reasons we wanted to get right on here and say, Sharon, we know a different side of this story, a different part of his legacy, don't we, Sharon? Yeah, Yeah, we do. Sadly, we do. So in anticipation of this news, knowing that Lauren's time on Earth was going to be short, we'd already started to collect some stories from former YWAMers. I mean, they are just heart-wrenching stories. People who've suffered trauma and abuse through this organization. And it's it's amazing to me how it's flown under the radar for so, so long. It has. And that's part of one of the reasons we started collecting those stories, because we wanted to start to unpack, and we will, in a future episode, we're going to do it way more justice than this one, but we wanted to get this one out as soon as we could. But as we've heard from those survivors and many who have agreed to come on our podcast and share those stories, we realize how many people need to be aware of the dangers of this organization. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say it has been able to fly under the radar for a very long time, but there are more and more stories coming to light all the time. I've noticed, especially just even in the last, I would say, six to eight months when I Google, I'm finding way more stories that start to surface when you type in YWAM abuse, YWAM is a cult, YWAM trauma, and there are more stories that are out there and more people that are willing to come forward. Mm-hmm, and we are going to mm-hmm. do our best to platform some of those stories. Yeah. And one of the things that has been most striking as we've started to gather the stories of other people is how fucking similar it is to our own experience. You know, what happened with us at last days with Youth with a Mission, and that's more than 30 years ago, right? Yes, and it's a bit chilling to me when I think about that. Wait, 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 holy shit. It was 40 years ago, Tracy, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, (laughs) 40 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) And our name, 
Confessions of the Cult Sisters ties back to Last Days Ministries, but we are absolutely one of the stories of the abuse and trauma from Youth with a Mission because they were so connected. Yeah. There's been a playbook in place that, of course, back when we were cult sisters in our young teens, we had no fucking clue. No, we (laughs) didn't. We were really blinded to that. And I would say even as we've been collecting these stories in just the last six months, it's been, whoa, wait, that's exactly what happened to us. Wait, Mm -hmm. that's almost word for word the same scriptures used, the same stories told. And so this, we realize, wow, has been a playbook that has been in place, as you so eloquently and painfully reminded me, (laughs) 40 years. And what has been even more heart-wrenching is, you know, as time goes on, some people learn, they grow more mature, things get better. The stories we've been hearing, it's gotten even worse, Sharon. Yeah. And, And the reason they can do this is because of sincere desire, sincere passion, sincere commitment on the parts of young people. Mm. Trust, right? We look to Mm -hmm. these leaders and we're like, oh my gosh, well, of course they're going to be pure in heart for God and non-questioning. And then if you do try to question, they want to smash it down. But okay, I'm getting ahead of what we want to talk about here. No, that's really good because that kind of goes in, you know, we're going to go go ahead and start kind of where our story begins to segment into Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. And I was very much a young teen. So I came, as people will have heard, if you are a listener and you've heard some of our story, you'll know a little bit of this. And if not, we'll put it in the show notes so that you can go catch up. But I attended the first intensive Christian training school that Last Days Ministries had. Now, Sharon, I noticed that Youth with a Mission didn't move into that area until 1980. Mm-hmm. And you guys moved into Garden Valley 1979? Yeah. Yeah. We got there in 79, so a year before. Right. So do you have any memories of Youth with a Mission coming in into that area? Well, just knowing that they were buying David Wilkerson's big giant property, which was pretty damn expensive and pretty damn impressive. So they had to have some bucks to do that for sure. Yeah. So I'm a teenager on, you know, the other side of Texas. I was still in Texas reading faithfully the newsletter and many issues through 1979. It would specifically say, please don't come. (laughs) Please don't show up. We are not a training school. And then at some point in early 1982, Mm-hmm. Uh, Last Days Ministries did start a training school. Well, and, and I can let me let me just back up with that. One of the issues was that we have this ever growing demand for our literature, for the magazine, for the tracks, for Keith's albums, and we are already working six days a week, ten to twelve hours a day. And people wanted to come and volunteer, but then they'd show up and work with us. And it's like, oh, they're not quite holy enough, or they're not committed enough, or they're grumblers and complainers, or whatever. And I'm sure Keith had really looked into the Youth with a Mission DTS, Discipleship Training School format, which is this wonderful way to get people to conform and to control them. And so he decided what we need to do is we need to grow our own right? So we got to make sure these people just buy into what we're selling 
we can get them to become staff members who are willing to work (laughs) these ungodly hours. And that was the impetus for the school, was really to make it easier to find staff people who would be compliant and not cause problems. And it was already a model that was successful for Youth with a Mission. Right. And, you know, at the time that I arrived, I didn't know about Youth with a Mission. And so I really thought it was a very separate concept. And of course, as time has gone on, and then eventually as I began to work in the school, it's like this model is the exact same model, which later Teen Mania would borrow from, IHOP Kansas City would borrow from. I think at the time Agape Force was already using, and this is how it works, folks. You pay to go be trained at whatever ministry that you have a lot of respect for. And so part of your tuition- You mean at whatever base? When you say whatever ministry. Yes, but if you were going to Agape Force or if you're going to Teen Mania or if you were going to IHOP Kansas City, it's like you want to be around all these godly people from whatever place that it is. Yeah. And every one of these ministries has this model of training that began with Youth with a Mission. With Lauren Cunningham. Yeah, it began with Lauren Cunningham's vision and Youth with a Mission. Yes. And so I was one of those. And so I did pay. And I remember working, you know, that was the time when I was still working in the world and I didn't want my parents to have to pay for it. So I saved up all of my money, emptied my savings account so that I could pay for this tuition. And most of the day was spent working at the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I never thought anything of it, right? So you work part of the day, you do have classes, but one of the odd things that I remember thinking was odd even at the time was it was mostly on videotape. Like we had very few live teachers. And as I would come to work in the school, that was part of the model as well. These youth with the mission teachers would, you know, have a live speaking course where people would videotape them. And the majority of your courses were sitting in a room watching a video monitor. (laughs) And then you'd load up and go to work all day. And part of the model that I've seen in almost every story that we've talked to is the curriculum. You have the same teachers that are visiting all these bases. There is an openness and brokenness session. I mean, and that Mm -hmm. started in the first ICT. And usually the youth with the mission teachers that were involved in that were Kalafi Mawala, John Dawson, Bruce Thompson. And it was really imperative that at some point in the school, you broke everybody down where they would confess in a group setting. And cry. You needed to cry if you were sincere. Yeah. You needed to cry. And that was a test. That was part of the test that I can see so clearly now. But at the time, I'm like, oh, you know, and for me, it was that my father was an alcoholic. That was a big family secret. So then you bond with this leadership in this Mm -hmm. very unsafe way when you're in a group setting like that. And you become very attached to this leadership model. Mm -hmm. The model works as you go through the ICT training school, you get broken down, you're taught this obedience, you're taught this leadership structure. And then if at any point you begin to hear anything that you would think would be from God or your intuition or anything inside that could be saying something different than your leadership, part of that teaching is 
you are wrong and they are right Mm -hmm. because God wouldn't call you to go to a ministry school if he didn't expect you to submit and obey them. So it becomes this very vicious circle that happens very quickly because it's in a 10-week period of time or a three-month period of time, uh, according to the different bases. And so you're paying to work. You're being broken down. You're being indoctrinated with a very specific slate of teachings. And then if you are successful, you can go through in ICT, it was a, a second term. In Youth with a Mission, it then becomes a school of evangelism. That's kind of the next step, right. which then you have to pay for to be participant of. And yeah. then there's an internship phase where you still have to pay and support yourself. Last Days at least brought you on to staff, but Youth with a Mission staff is still, you will raise your own support and you will continue to pay the base mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a portion of that. And that's the school model. Yep, that's the school model. I just, I wanted to call out one other thing that was definitely a part of the school was the whole purity culture thing. Wasn't called that then. It was Dean Sherman's loving logical limits. And it was all about sex and, or it was about don't have sex (laughs) and don't think sex and don't be a sexual being, you know, all that stuff. That was huge. And so that indoctrination was a major part of it as well. We had one other lovely thing we did at Last Days. We took these teachings, these video indoctrination sessions, and we converted them into written articles that Mm. first appeared in our magazine, and then they became pamphlets or tracts so that we could indoctrinate hundreds of thousands more people via print, right? (laughs) It's just... Yeah, and I never even thought of it. (laughs) No, no. I never realized how much we were producing so many of the teachings of Youth with the Mission Leaders. Never thought of it, Sharon. Yeah. And I think our reach was far wider than YWAMs, to be honest with you, at that time. I mean, we had what? We had our magazine with, you know, hundreds of thousands of names. We're mailing this stuff out. We had a really organized machine, a really systematic way of reaching people to the max. And that became something that uh, YWAM was very appreciative of, if we want to call it appreciative. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you step back and you look at this organization that now is following that model and recruiting a very, I mean, honestly, Sharon, you know, I always likened it that I thought we were like the special forces of evangelism. Seriously, right? Well, we thought we were holier. We definitely thought we were holier than YWAM. Even though we're using their teachings, we thought our hearts were purer. We were more committed. We were more serious followers of Jesus. Yes. And we'll get into some reasons for that. But when I look back and I think of you know, as later I would, you know, work in this school and it was my job to write the honorariums for the guest speakers that we did have, which were mainly youth with a mission. I would say all of youth with a mission, but there was a couple that, you know, like George Verwer from Operation Mobilization would mm-hmm, visit. Mm-hmm. So I know it was a very um, honor to come to last days. A, you'd get paid and most likely your teaching would be videotaped. Eventually, we would have a video and tape department, Sharon, mm-hmm. where we would sign people <laughs> up for a teaching of the month club where we would mail these and give them national 
platforms. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and then print their teaching in tract form, which did get that hundreds of thousands of reach, which there is always an opportunity then to sponsor these youth with a mission leaders. And, you know, and this started, this didn't start after Keith died. This no. started while Keith was alive. And looking back now, I can see how important he was as a tool in their hand. Yeah. Well, I think that where it really began in a big way was the trip that Martin and I and Keith and Melody took together to be a vacation. I think it was like a combination. Maybe it was sort of a delayed honeymoon for <laughs> for me and Martin because we'd only had a <laughs> couple of days. And, Good evangelical honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. And Keith wanted a vacation or a break. And so the four of us were going to go to Europe together. Keith had said, hey, it's not going to be fun on my own. Come on, you guys got to go. You got to go. So we did. But at some point, and it probably happened before we actually even got on the plane, some of the bases of Youth with a Mission started extending invitations for us to visit them, to come and see what God is doing. And so I remember we went to Switzerland, the base there. I think it's in Lausanne. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And we went to Amsterdam with Floyd and Sally McClung. Our really only true vacation part of it was we did go to Italy for a couple of days to Venice. And they weren't trying to save Italians, so there was no base there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And then we wound up taking a last minute. This was not on the itinerary, but we went to Greece where Don and Dion Stevens were commissioning the Anastasis. I don't know. It was it was kind of a brand new thing with their mercy ships. Yeah, the whole thing turned into a YWAM publicity tour, really. Hmm. I mean, YWAM trying to recruit Keith. I think that's really what that was. And they did a good job of it. Could you pick any of that up while you were there or were you no, just still I was young and naive? <laughs> yeah, I was all dewy-eyed and yes, this is the work of God and Jesus and reaching the nations. Yeah, I I bought into it too, totally. You know, something we'll mention, John Dawson, who was a teacher and whose message became attract the father heart of God. And if you've heard a lot of our stories, you know, a lot of us came from trauma and traumatic families. And I put Keith in that category as well, somebody who really was looking for a father figure. And I know we know the story of he and Leonard, but I think some of that working of YWAM was also kind of fulfilling that role in him. They were affirming him. They were telling him, you know, what an awesome reach he had, how anointed he was, how God wanted to use them. And I think that was an important hook for Keith as well. Mm -hmm. And Keith, I think he was sincere. He was sincere in his belief in Jesus. He was sincere in his intensity of, man, it's all for Jesus. If it's true, go all in, all in, all in. And that's what he was doing. And YWAM pointed an arrow and said, this is the way to go. And he jumped on board yes. big time. Yes. And I would say, pointed the arrow, said, this is a man we want to be tied to. Well, because Keith could do a lot for them. Keith, <laughs> Keith could he do a could lot for do, them. He could do a lot. And we will start to get into some numbers in a little bit and we'll show exactly what he did. Yeah. I think, I think 
that we had a few casual kind of meetings with Lauren and Darlene as well. I do remember spending a little bit of time with them, but Keith did really feel drawn to Lauren Cunningham. And part of Mm. that is probably, you know, head of ministry to head of ministry stuff, probably. And he's older. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think Lauren even talks about, you know, you have this comet. He's been described as this blazing comet and you see Lauren Cunningham. You mean Keith described? Yeah, Keith is like this, you know, just this bundle of passion, right? And you have Lauren Cunningham, who's an older man at that time. Mm-hmm. And I could see that that would be a draw for Keith as well. And okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> let's, let's also say this, though. Quote, older man at that time. Mm-hmm. He was in his mid-40s. <laughs> but Keith was 28. True, true And I don't true. know if you remember when you were 28. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I would have thought somebody 40 was older you and wiser. You would have, and you would have been a little impressed. <laughs> yeah, not just a little. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, while I thought it was a great example of sharing, right? Christians share. They're sharing some of their teachings. We're sharing some of our stuff. I didn't realize how much we were fitting into the playbook of YWAM that would Mm -hmm. continue to repeat itself in story after story after story. Mm -hmm. So you guys went to Europe. Mm -hmm. You, I don't know, as a, you know, younger person, you were probably impressed too. I mean, going to bases all over the world. Oh, yeah. Sounds impressive. Mm -hmm. We did shift courses upon their return Mm -hmm. as far as going to decide to do a concert blitz. Yep. And I think, <laughs> I think it was after we came back from Europe that I wrote the so unfortunate article, Should a Christian Go to College, which was a whole emotional manipulation on, no, you should drop out of school and go become a missionary, aka YWAM. So I played into it too, big time. Yes, Keith wrote two new songs. It changed the course of where we were heading as a ministry. It did change the course because what previously had been about become a Christian and get serious about Jesus and love your neighbors and feed the poor now became don't just become a Christian, but become a Christian and go to missions, youth with a mission. Yes, youth with a mission. And, you know, the famous quote of, if you haven't heard otherwise, you are called to go, right? A very extreme message that did come from Keith, that did get videotaped. And what we know from what we saw firsthand, and also what Melody wrote in the book, No Compromise, The Life Story of Keith Green, Keith and Lauren then, they're like brainstorming. How do we draw more people? How do we get more people into missions? And so they were kind of praying together and working together. And again, it really became a funnel from Keith's concerts to Youth with a Mission recruitment, even before Keith died. Correct. And then one of those concerts got serendipitously (laughs) recorded. (laughs) And then after the plane crash, that got rolled into this giant, huge thing the Keith Green Memorial Concerts, which was, again, all about major emotional manipulation that you can't be really a serious Christian. You can't love Jesus unless you go, right? And the two songs he wrote? Yeah, and those are actually two of my least favorite songs of Keith. (laughs) 
And I can almost hear kind of the agenda, right, that's in those lyrics, which seemed a bit mm-hmm. different than the the stuff that was his more heartfelt songs. And so that memorial concert tour really cemented our relationship with Youth with a Mission in a whole new way. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, the memorial concert tours became an incredible Youth with a Mission recruiting tool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to jump right in and give you some numbers, folks, because I mean, it's this will help give some context of what happens later with uh, YWAM and LDM. But anyway, Keith and Lauren had prayed for 100,000 people to be recruited into Youth with a Mission. And I think I remember hearing that that number was actually exceeded in the course of the memorial concerts. Do you remember that, Tracy? Yes, they definitely. Lauren has a video on YouTube that people can go look where he talks about that meeting and how it far exceeded what they originally had prayed and asked for. Okay, so let's take the minimum numbers. You know, I'm always about follow the money because that tells you a lot of what's really going on. So let's assume that they only recruited 100,000 people, though we're told it's more. So these folks come in and they're going to pay money to go into the DTS, the Discipleship Training School. Many of them go on to the SOEs, Schools of Evangelism, and other sort of you-need-to-pay-YWAM type programs. We'll take a conservative estimate that each of those people paid about $4,000 for the various programs that they engaged in. So 100000 times 4000 that's $40 million hmm. to YWAM. Hmm. Let's put that into today's money. And again, remember, I'm being conservative with the total number of people and the actual out-of-pockets for each. In today's dollars, that's $120 million into Lauren Cunningham's Youth with a Mission. And that doesn't include the subsequent staff fees that anybody who stayed on would have to pay to the YWAM bases. So it's no wonder, (laughs) it's no wonder that they did not want to let go of what Keith Green's legacy and Last Days Ministries could provide for them. Okay. Correct. I jumped in there. But you and I, you know, and so many of the people at Last Days Ministries, we really weren't about the money. No, we (laughs) We were not. We weren't doing that math. We weren't calculating that out in good faith. We're like, hey, we're just serving God. So Mm -hmm. if you fast forward and there starts to be the issues that we were having with leadership as Last Days was drawing to a close. Well, We didn't know it was drawing to a close. We didn't think it was drawing to a close. So what happened was maybe three years after Keith was killed in the plane crash, Melody is just kind of getting a little bit more, frankly, into Melody and Melody serving. And she wants to become a Christian music megastar herself. And she wants to go on concert tours and she wants to sing and she wants to do an album. And honestly, it just wasn't good. I mean, I remember, I remember Buck and Annie Herring and Steve and Nellie Gryson from Second Chapter of Acts coming over to the big cafeteria when Melody is going to do a concert, like a preview for us all of this concert tour she wants to do. And Tracy, it was just bad. I mean, it just was not good. The singing wasn't good. The songs weren't good. It was, it was pathetic and really like, ooh, no. 
Steve and Nellie and Buck and Annie, I was, we were in the back with them and they're kind of just looking at us with their eyebrows raised like, what? But anyway, she was so intent. She said to us, unless you can tell me God said no, I'm going to do it. And Wayne and Kathleen and me and Martin were like, this is not right. Not right, not right. So we got hold of John Dawson from YWAM, who happened to be in town, and we talked to him. We said, this just doesn't seem right. And he agreed with us. He agreed with us. But John is a really soft and gentle kind of guy. (laughs) At least he was then. (laughs) And so we ask him to help us in talking with Melody about this. And it was at that point that the other four of us, Martin, me, Wayne, Kath, we all believed, you know what? Last Days has run its course. We need to be done. This thing should be winding down. And we were ready to donate. We were ready to donate the property, donate the assets, and let everybody just go on and do something else. Right. However... Go ahead. And so, Sharon, this is where, because there's a lot to that whole story that we will go into greater detail in later episodes. But I think the point that we're trying to punctuate here is we genuinely, naively, and you all genuinely and naively think you can go to Youth with a Mission and get God's counsel, right? Yes. Yes. Well, no, not actually get God's counsel. We were looking for assistance because we believed that we were entrusted with Last Days Ministries. Hmm. Guidance and input, yes. Direction, no. That's not what we were looking for. We had really, really seriously looked at this and said, this is not right. I mean, we know the legacy of Last Days. We know it it, it just wasn't right. And to give you an idea, (laughs) (laughs) to give you an idea, go ahead. I was going to say, well, and of course, now with hindsight, because we've talked to so many people, there is a playbook here that continues to happen over and over again. And of course, we're, this is the first time, this is Sharon's first time being introduced to this playbook. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. when you are going to go for this counsel to youth with a mission, I've always heard it talked like that. It's counsel. So were you trying just to get them to confirm or how did you get from feeling so strongly to then being sent off to the leadership (laughs) development school. Well, and again, I want to make sure that we are also keeping this relevant to Lauren Cunningham. The manner in which Youth with a Mission staff and leadership and the bigwigs behaved was what Lauren Cunningham either taught or endorsed or ignored. So, He bears the headship of YWAM, and therefore, how these things transpired absolutely was in his scope of influence. Absolutely. So what happened was, no, we weren't asking counsel from John Dawson then. We knew that this was going to be really hard for Melody. We knew we had to confront her because her ego had gotten in the way. She was using funds in ways that we thought were unethical. And we needed to confront her. But we also wanted her to heal. She had two small children. She'd never really gotten to grieve. We're like, this lady, this lady needs to go have a life a little bit. And so we asked John to come in with us and be there to support Melody emotionally. 
we had had the meeting with him, the four of us, to say, to say, this is what we see, this is what we don't think is right, and this is what we think we should be doing next. And he never, he never disagreed with it. He said, I'm there with you. Hmm. And we had the meeting, and Bobby, a young man who was engaged to Melody at the time, he had been her piano player, she had gone on tour with him, don't need to get into all that stuff, but anyway... When we had this sit-down meeting, Bobby was there as well. And Melody was so cold and so hard and so unmoved hearing about some of the hurts that she had caused others. She was so defiant about what she wanted to do with her music. Bobby saw this. He broke off the engagement. He called it off because of that meeting, seeing how she responded. Now. John Dawson was there, and we met with John afterwards, the four of us, with him. He was assuring of us. He was supportive. He gave us every indication that he himself saw the major problem with Melody, with her hardness of heart and her ego and her self-serving and her lack of compassion for others. John said, I see it all. Yeah, he was on board. Or at least that's what he said. <laughs> at least that's what he said to us. That's what he said. So, and then I, somebody that was as connected to Keith as Lauren Cunningham was and the importance of Last Days Ministries as a recruiting ministry to youth with a mission. I don't have this firsthand, but I guarantee you that he was not acting without getting Lauren's input. Oh, I can't imagine that he would not have been in communication with Lauren about this. I mean, it just I just can't imagine that would have happened at all. And every story that we have heard in the 40 decades since does follow along a playline, and that's wait, what wait, I'm wait. trying to get trying to get at here. Decades, 40 decades. 40 decades Tracy. and 40 years. <laughs> and these 40 decades is what it feels like. Uh 40 years. In these 40 years is what I'm trying to get at, because many people who have had this with Youth with a Mission are feeling that support that you identify. So how did it lead from, I'm with you, I see this, to now you all are going to a LTS in Hawaii? So LTS stands for Leadership Training School. And what John Dawson and also Fred Markert, who then got involved, our communications with them, and again, this is Wayne and Kath and me and Martin, were that they all saw Melody's issue. Absolutely, she was not qualified for leadership. There was a huge problem. But she is the widow of Keith Green, and she does have this name recognition. So by going to the LTS, it will give her time to learn and see and reflect And it would be good for us, the four of us also on leadership. The idea was everybody go and you pray while you're there. Do not talk with one another. So we weren't allowed to talk with Wayne and Kath. We were not allowed to talk with Melody. We were told we are not allowed to talk with anyone back at the ministry either. This was supposed to be kind of a sequestered time. Now, we have learned about the YWAM playbook. Divide and conquer, divide and leverage, and that was part of it. Interestingly, though, and I know this, Melody did not follow that rule. 
she was still communicating back with people at last days the entire time. Not only that, but I actually spoke with another person who had been on staff at last days who was in the room with Fred Markert on a day when Martin called to talk to Fred about what's going on. And Fred allowed this other staff person to hear what Martin was saying, which was concerns about some things with Melody, and basically leveraged this to tell the other person, the other staff person, that Martin was trying to take over and have full control. So he is playing and manipulating staff members, not following the rules that have been set out, just two-faced as can be. I mean, that is, (laughs) it's just, it's so lacking integrity. That's what I will say. It's so lacking integrity, but with hindsight, you can see the system at work here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and bringing it back to Lauren Cunningham, there is definitely an interruption to what could potentially happen to Last Days Ministries. He has to instate a leader from Youth with a Mission to run Last Days Ministries while you all are at this LTS, Mm -hmm. which he does, Fred Markert. Mm -hmm. Now, what this does to the people and why we talk about the first part of the training is all of that openness and brokenness and confession that breaks you down and bonds you to these leaders. So Fred Markert was known and loved by everybody, as was John Dawson, Mm -hmm. known and loved, because he was presiding over all of these very deep father heart sessions where people were sobbing and crying and confessing the neglect from childhood. So he was trusted. Fred Markert was trusted. This was all done in good faith and that they are communicating, we hear you, we understand you, we are going to pray with you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's absolutely part of the playbook because they have the end already in sight. They and do, I, they do. <laughs> they had and no so, intention. Why we no intention of allowing there to be any kind of ending or closure to last day's ministries and no intention whatsoever of Melody being anywhere except as this figurehead because, frankly, I think they knew they could control and manipulate her pretty easily. Now, I just also want to say I am not in any way saying that Martin and I or Wayne and Kathleen, we were the paragon of the best leaders possible. No, we all had flaws. We all had problems. But we did not have the misuse of ministry funds. We did not have the ego chasing stuff going on. I will say that both Kathleen and Martin did have issues with being very harsh and spiritually abusive to other people, as did Melody. That is one thing that those three did have in common. Yes. And now that we've heard so many stories of youth with a mission and part of when they put young people in so many important positions of authority, mm-hmm. that's commonplace. So for mm-hmm. us, we're feeling, you know, this this lack of unity, this, you know, lack of people being able to submit to one another. This is commonplace for youth with a mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't commonplace to us. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Fred Marker is rolling out methodical teachings based on the story of the three kings, (laughs) which is basically 
about David and Saul and how you never come against God's anointed. And we'll hear that continually from lots of abuse senders of ministry where they kind of throw that scripture as, you know, the catch-all. We didn't know that was happening, though, right? So he's leading uh, the rest of us back at the ministry in this very systemic teaching as far as that, preparing us so that when this leadership does come back and they, as the leaders, hear the direction that God has for us, we should learn to trust our leadership because God has placed our leaders over us and we are mm-hmm. needing to obey that. And if we feel anything differently, we are an example of coming against God's anointed. Yeah. And so it went from this crazy chaos of you guys, you know, you guys being the the eldership that was in place, now entering into youth with a mission has been basically inserted themselves (laughs) as the voice of God for us at Last Days Ministries. And I'll tell you what, I am putting two and two together, honestly, for the first time here right now. At the same time, back at the LTS, in the closing sessions of the LTS, I wish I could remember for sure, Tracy, if it was Lauren himself personally. I kind of think it was because this was a big big fucking deal. But I do know that Don Stevens was there. Floyd McClung was there. Who's the other big wig? I'm pretty sure Dean Sherman was there. I can't remember about John Dawson, but I'm almost certain that it was Lauren Cunningham on the last session. There was the most public manipulation I have ever seen. I couldn't even thought it would be possible. Wayne had already said he was leaving last days. He was out. He was gone. He never wanted to work with Melody again. And Lauren Cunningham, again, I'm 99% sure it was him, delivers this message talking about the kings, talking about God's anointed, Mm -hmm. bringing up the idea of David and Jonathan Mm -hmm. (laughs) and service, lifetime service to God's anointed. And then he calls Wayne up and says, I believe we need to do some foot washing. And he sits Melody down and they bring out water and they say, Wayne, we believe God would like you to wash Melody's feet. And that is what they do at the close. And it changes the whole course of Wayne and Kathleen's life at that point. Because they were out until this manipulation happened. And it was it was astounding. I mean, it was just astounding, Tracy. Yes, and equally astounding back at the ranch is the teaching that if you are in opposition to your leaders that God has placed over you, it's not just a matter of opinion. It's not just a matter of, hey, we don't see things, you know, the same way. God bless you. Go on. It is then taught that it is the sin of rebellion that is in Mm -hmm. the heart of the one who disagrees. And where the sin of rebellion exists is the sin of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it gives power to demonic forces Mm -hmm. at play. Mm -hmm. And that is where... You know, as I've sat and listened to so many of the survivors who have come after us with their own tales of how this kind of has happened in base after base after base, that's the mind fuckery right there. Mm -hmm. And 
all of a sudden you have these beautiful brothers and sisters that I worked alongside for years and years, people obviously that we had open confession with, that we knew their hearts, that you know gave of themselves 10 to 12 to 15 hours a day, being told that they're hearing from Satan himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 people are just wrecked because you know you yeah. tell somebody who that's their most sincere desire is to not open the door to the devil and mm-hmm. to follow God and to feel so strongly in one direction and be told by people who have ministered to you in these sessions tell you that you're hearing from Satan is a mind fuckery that I've watched really shipwreck people. And you have to look to the head of the organization for setting up a culture that not mm-hmm. only allows that, doesn't call out the abuse, but actually intentionally employs it in order to achieve their agenda. That's what happened at Last Days Ministries. We've heard tragic stories from many people who were in YWAM where the same thing has happened to them. The moment that you question something, the moment that you maybe point out some abuse that's happening, or even just wonder aloud, you are no longer welcome. You are now part of the problem. You are now not serving the agenda, and therefore you're going to be vilified, you're going to be trashed. So when you're hearing all this veneration for Lauren Cunningham and this amazing organization that he started... There are so many untold stories of devastation, and we will be bringing more of those out into the light in the months to come. Yes, and I want to add this one story. So you weren't there at the time, but when the tornado did rip through, this was another classic example of Lauren Cunningham piping in a phone call in the wee hours of the morning to assure everybody that it was the beginning of blessings and that this was not God's hand against us, but all the more God's hand for us. So, wait, Tracy, Tracy, I'm sorry, just a little context, people who may not know the story. This was in March of 1987. This was after Martin and I were kicked out. Other people were leaving by droves, and a tornado came through and hit virtually every major building on the property no one was injured. And then immediately, this is Lauren's message to everyone who's starting to wonder what's really happening here. Yes. And that was a direct sign of his knowing involvement, his quickness to get in front of the narrative and make sure that it was not used by anyone else to give another message from the one that he heard from God himself. And when you have that kind of stuff at play, where I'm saying it's not just, hey, we all have different callings, we have different opinions, we each need to go our own way. It was, no, if you're not for us, you are against us. And if you are not for God, then you are a tool of the devil. And Mm -hmm. it is a very devastating and cult-like tenant. I mean, that's what it is. It's a Mm -hmm. part of a cult-like tenant that he was at the helm of. I'm going to say it's not cult-like. It's 100%. (laughs) It's total cult. Total cult. 
Yeah, so we wanted to get this out because our hearts do go out for, you know, the people who have been a part of this mindfuckery, the part of being told that they're a tool of the devil, where they've had their entire insides turned upside down, where they've had their finances completely railroaded by this organization, Youth with a Mission. And they're hurting. There's people out there hurting because all of this has been swept under the carpet Youth with the Mission has worked very hard to keep all of this stuff under wraps. And so on a couple of Instagram posts for those in the survivor community, a message went out to say, hey, in the midst of all of this, you know, heralding of the greatness of Lauren Cunningham, if there's one thing that you would like for the world to know about what Youth with the Mission is and stands for, what would it be? All right, so let's alternate these, Tracy. We'll, we'll take them one by one, a few of them. Quote, it's not safe. Quote, it's 100% a cult, and we were devout members for close to 20 years. Lauren was a cult leader. Quote, it is a godless organization that preys on young, vulnerable kids and their insecurities. Quote, putting unqualified people in leadership roles causes repeated abuse. Quote, only one thing? Question, question, question mark. Quote, that it's a cesspool of narcissistic and spiritual abuse of young people. Quote, targeting a vulnerable age group and decentralizing structure enables abuse. Quote, the abuse of volunteers. Quote, the more accurate name for this organization would be Youth Who Are Manipulated. Tracy, that mm. one was mine. <laughs> and I love that. It's the YWAM, youth who are manipulated. There were a couple people that wanted to say more than just a word and gave us permission to share these portions of their immediate thoughts upon hearing the news. The first one, quote, It is so difficult for those of us who experienced abuse within YWAM to see all these posts about how wonderful Lauren was. He turned a blind eye to so much of the abuse. The spiritual bypassing that took place when he was told about the abuse is astounding. I don't say this flippantly. We were devout members for close to 20 years. Lauren dedicated our first child back in 2000s. We spent time at his house with him and his wife, Darlene, while we were in Kona. I don't claim to know him intimately like so many others, but I do know of countless times he was told about the abuse and nothing was done about it. Please be aware that many of us feel great pain at the hands of Lauren and we don't mourn his death like so many others. We see that an abuser is no longer on earth. I know that's harsh, but it's true. End quote. Mm, my gosh. Here's another one we wanted to share. Quote, I have many feelings about Lauren. I saw him decimate people's lives and stand up and cry crocodile tears, saying he never meant to hurt anyone, and receive a standing ovation for it, and then turn around and do the same thing with others' lives. I don't know if I have any one brief thing. You know how it goes. I worked there for 10 years. I have a lot of experiences and feelings. But I will say this. Lauren intentionally kept himself and YWAM immature to avoid responsibility. It's like the organization was born and kind of went through the very beginning stages of development, 
And then when they were in the adolescent phase of taking risks and not recognizing they had responsibilities to people and not caring about implications, Lauren refused to let them mature further. When wise people would tell him he needed accountability, the organization needs it, he would immediately remove and silence those voices. Hmm. He chose to act oblivious to all the damage he was doing. He chose to let himself be revered, sometimes even treated like a god. I was at a conference in New Zealand for YWAM's 40th anniversary, where they brought Lauren in on a litter carried on their shoulders. That shit happened all the time. He loved being adored, and it happened a lot in cultures where a white man being adored was feeding colonialism. Okay, I guess I actually have a lot to say. I could go on, but I will leave this here for now. End quote. Hmm. Tracy, I'm very excited that we are going to be talking in depth in the months to come with these people and others to really paint a picture, detailed picture, with specifics about the abuse inflicted on these people by Youth with a Mission and Lauren Cunningham. Hmm. Yeah, Sharon, I am too. And, you know, we've already started collecting some of those stories and we have been heartbroken. Mm-hmm. I just put up a post on our Instagram, feetofclay.cultsisters, where I call out that, you know, in the midst of all of this abuse, what has really shown through for me is the amount of really beautiful souls that had tender, sincere hearts that really wanted to change the world or do something positive in the world. And they were the ones that were preyed upon, and they have been being preyed upon by Youth with a Mission and in the exact model that Lauren Cunningham designed and presided over mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. not 40 decades, but more than 40 years. And we wanted to go on record here because we do have a tie-in, and we experienced so many of these these similar things, and we know how much they sidelined us and played with our heads. And we are very, very proud of the people that have been willing to come to us and share their stories. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. There will be a lot more information coming from us and other folks as well in the weeks and months to come. If you have been the victim of spiritual abuse or other abuse from YWAM or any other cult organization, we invite you to come talk with us. We have a Facebook group. It's Feet of Clay Confessions of the Cult Sisters Community. You can share your story and your healing journey with others who can really relate because they've been there too. Yep. And they will offer good resources and a safe space to share. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening to our special episode. We'll see you next time. <laughs>